Welcome to Victory Church Winchester, Virginia's weekly podcast. Our desire is that you will find Victory a place to call home. Please take a moment to subscribe and share. Here is this week's message from our Sunday morning worship experience. Today we're talking about marriage and Nancy and I celebrated a milestone in our marriage. Uh, Yesterday we celebrated 40 years of of, uh, marriage or as she likes to say, 35 of the best years of her life. And uh, some of you will get that a little later. But uh, So she spent the week in California. Last week we preached in Phoenix. I flew home and she flew to L.A. to see her mom and her sisters. And uh, on Friday morning, I went to Gatlinburg to attend a, a friend, a church that I'm very close to, was having their marriage conference, and one of my friends was speaking, so we went up there, and while they were in their session, they noticed that I was there. They were talking about, from Genesis, where it talks about leaving, uh, cleaving, and becoming one flesh, and they noticed that I was sitting in the back, and they noticed that I was by myself, and they looked back there and said, Pastor Randy, good to have you with us today. Where's Nancy? And I said, well, she's in California. We're celebrating our 40th anniversary. And uh, she's out there. And they, they said, that's interesting. I said, yeah, I was focused on the cleaving part. She was focused on the leaving part. But uh, anyhow, we're glad to be here. Nancy, um, uh, if, if the truth be known, she would do a much better job speaking on marriage than I could. And so everything that I say, you know that she wrote it down. I just read it the way she wrote it. And uh, she did, we have a good marriage, but there is one area of contention in our marriage, and it's uh, my weight. And she asked me at the beginning of the year, I'm turned 70 this year, and she's a little concerned about my physical condition, so she said, I want you to go on a diet. And I said, well, what kind of diet do you want me to go on? She said, I want you to go on a diet where you lose 10 pounds. She figures in two and a half years, I'll be gone. 10 pounds a month. Yeah, I blew that one, didn't I? So uh, anyhow, so today I want to talk to you about soulmates versus roommates. Soulmates versus one roommates. A boy asked his father, Dad, how much does it cost to get married? The dad thought for a minute and then replied, I don't know, son, I ain't done paying yet. (laughs) How many of you know that a good marriage will cost you? It will. Pastor Keith talked about paying the price for revival, paying the price to move into that inner presence of God, and a good marriage is like that. Every marriage that I've ever performed, and I've performed a bunch of them over the years, begin with what I call the forever optimism. You hear the word forever, it's used a lot. There are songs about love that lasts forever, their vows contain the words forever, and uh, they start with the idea of going the distance. I have never, in 49 years of ministry now, I have never been backstage with the groom waiting to go out and watch the bride come down the aisle. I've never yet had one groom look at me and say, you know, Pastor, I'm hoping to get maybe four or five years out of this marriage, and if it doesn't work out, who knows? Maybe I'll get a couch out of it or something. No, they all talk about going the distance. Do you remember the passion that your marriage started with? You were always kind and loving and caring for each other. You used to talk to each other in a way that you'd never talk to anybody else. 
kind of in a sweep, syrupy voice, and you'd sit at a table, and if perchance you happened to step on her foot, you'd go, oh, I'm so sorry. Did I step on the most beautiful, cute little foot in the whole wide world? I'm so sorry. And now you look and say, move that smelly thing. <laughs> what happened? The reality is no marriage can last in that romantic fantasy stage without lots of intentional work and attention. Good marriages never just happen. First, you have to have a goal of what you want your marriage to look like. The Bible says that without a vision, the people perish. And my question to you this morning is, what is your vision for your marriage? Nancy and I have celebrated, like I said yesterday, 40, 40 years. We got to spend the last couple hours of, the, of, the, of our special day together. And we have this dream that on our 50th wedding anniversary, we'll be like those old couples walking on the beach down in Florida, hand in hand, taking hits off each other's oxygen tanks. You know what I'm talking about. We, we have this picture of romance that is going to go the distance. But for us to get from where we are to there doesn't just happen. It takes a lot of work. Two foundational truths about marriage. Number one, good marriages never just happen. They never just happen. You don't happen into a good marriage. Ephesians 4.3, Paul writes and says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. Number two, my marriage, your marriage, our marriage is as good as we're committed to make it. We're, it's only as good as our commitment. What's your vision for your marriage? To end up as roommates or soulmates. Let me give you four characteristics of soulmates. Can I do that this morning? Thank you. I thought you'd let me. All right. Number one, soulmates look for the best in each other. Soulmates learn to look for the best in each other. Romans chapter 15, verse 14, Paul writes this to the church at Rome. And he says, I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness. You are complete in knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Notice the affirmation that Paul gives to them. Notice the faith and the optimism that Paul expresses towards the church at Rome. He says, you're full of goodness, you're complete in knowledge, you're competent. Let me ask you this, what do you see when you see your mate? I'll tell you what you see. You see what you look for. You find what you look for. If you're looking for faults, you'll find them. But if you're looking for reasons to love and appreciate them, you'll find those reasons as well. I want to challenge you today to see your mate, to see each other, as the unique individuals that God created them to be. Don't see them as the ideal spouse as portrayed on TV. Don't see them as the ideal spouse as portrayed by some other image that you have, but see them as the unique individual that God created them to be. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul uses the analogy of a body to describe the church. And he says, look, in the church there's many different parts. There's eyes, there's arms, there's legs. And God says, you find out what your mate is, what part they play. They may be the liver. They may be the gizzard. I don't know what they are, but you find out what they are, and then you help them to become all that you want them to be. Why? Because comparison damages marriages. And when we start thinking, here's the, here's the problem. We look at other people, but we don't see them in the way they really are. We never see them without makeup. 
We never see them without their hair done. We never see them under stressful situations. And the image that we conjure up is not really who they are under pressure. So you've got to learn to not compare, but to appreciate your mate for who they are. Let me ask you this. Are you an unpleasable mate? Do you always want your mate to be something better, something more than they are? If you are, then you need to understand this. Unpleasable mates produce insecure mates. An unpleasable mate, when you're never good enough, when you never feel like you measure, it produces uh, un, un, uh, uh, unsatisfied mate. How do you instill confidence in your mate? Paul tells, tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7. He says this, If you love someone, you will be loyal to him no matter what the cost. You will always believe in him, always expect the best of him, and always stand your ground in defending him. If we want a confident, capable mate, we have to build them up more than we tear them down. We've got to give more strokes than pokes, more cheers than jeers. You say, well, wait a minute. If, If I just balance out my criticism with my constructive ideas, won't that balance out the words of criticism? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. John Gottman, who teaches at the University of Washington in Seattle, one of the foremost experts on marriage in the country today, says this, it takes at least five words of positivity to balance out one word of criticism. I really believe it's more than that. And if you don't believe that, you could leave church today and 10 people could tell you, Pastor Keith, I love the new coffee look. I love that. You look great. You should do that every week, you know. And, and, but yet if one person criticize, criticizes that, what does he go home remembering? The one negativity, the one negative words. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18 says this, reckless words pierce like a, a sword. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. We have to use our words to build each other up, to encourage one another. Proverbs 18, 21. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who live it, who, and those who love it will eat its fruit. See, when our words become caustic, when they become sarcastic, when they become cynical, it will destroy our relationship and are made in the process. I heard somebody say this. I don't remember who said it, but I never forgot the saying. A lot of little digs will eventually destroy your marriage. A lot of little digs. Those things that you say kind of off the cuff. Those things that you say to get a laugh when you're in company. Those things will destroy your marriage if you're not careful. Two things that really not being, two dangers to really not being able to see who our mate is. Number one is this. I call it when and then thinking. When and then thinking. When they do this, then I'll be happy. When they do this, then we'll be able to get along. When they do that, when and then thinking. See, the problem is we judge our mates and we, we don't accept them for who they are. We accept them based on an image that we have in the future. We have to learn to enjoy and admire our mates in progress and in the process of becoming who God wants them to be, not just the finished project. How many of you have kids? Anybody ever have kids? How many wish you didn't have kids? No, just kidding. All right, we won't go there. But how many of you know kids don't come out in their fully developed stage? 
Ours came out throwing up, and it came out the other end too. And they were a mess. They cried at inconvenient times, but now they're 38 and they're 36, and they don't throw up much anymore. And they're a whole lot more fun to be around at times now. Why? Because the process has led them to a place of maturity that they could never experience when they were infants or newborns. And we have to learn to love each other in the process, in the, in the progression that God has called us to do. Let me give you all an assignment, all right? Because we don't want just theory here today. We want something practical. So write this assignment down, all right? Write this assignment down, okay? You wonder why this stick is up here. Carry a big stick. That's what, that's what marriage is all about. Okay. Number, here's the assignment. Write a list about the things that you admire about your mate. Write out 10 things this afternoon before you come back to the sessions tonight. This afternoon, take time to, to, to go, your, you know, go in separate rooms, write out 10 different things, and then come back, sit with your knees touching each other, eyeball to eyeball, and share that list. Here's my list of Nancy that I wrote down. Number one, she passionately loves God. Number two, she's a great mom. Number three, she has a servant heart. Number four, she has a strong sense of fun. Number five, she's not materialistic. Number eight, or six, she's open and I, I can't count. I'm from Tennessee. She, she's, well, we are in Virginia, though. Open and honest. Number seven, she has a strong commitment to the biblical concept of marriage. Number eight, she's very passionate. <laughs> and number nine, she still looks hot. Hey, I'm not all godly, all right? She still looks good. And number 10, we have a shared faith. And when I shared that list with her, let's just say it was a good time. All right, that's all we're going to go. That's all we're going to say there. Number one, look, soulmates, look for the best in each other. They look for the best in each other. Number two, soulmates shower each other with love and acceptance. Soulmates shower each other with love and acceptance. Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. Now let me just say something. Dave Ramsey did not write this verse. Some people think Dave Ramsey wrote that. Let no debt remain. No, God wrote it. And he didn't even write it about finances. Now, I believe it applies to finances, but in this context, he's talking about relationships. And he said, don't have any debt between you except the debt to love one another, to love one another. And we're to shower each other with love and acceptance. How do we do that? We demonstrate love and acceptance, number one, through encouragement. Through encouragement. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says this, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Encourage one another. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. But encourage one another daily. How often? Daily. But encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You know what? It is so easy to let the negativity of the world that we live in cause hardness. But Paul, whoever wrote Hebrews says, listen, don't allow your hearts to become hard. And the way you do that is by encouraging one another every day. 
by encouraging one another every day. William Arthur Ward said this, Flatter me, and I may not believe you. Criticize me, and I may not like you. Ignore me, and I may not forgive you. But encourage me, and I will never forget you. Are you your mate's biggest cheerleader? Are you your mate's biggest cheerleader? Nancy, I, I, can, I can honestly say either Nancy is the greatest liar in the world or she's my biggest fan. Because every week at the end of the message, she's the first one usually to tell me. Well, not the first one because I go to the, I used to, as a pastor, would go to the door for the greeting at the end of the door and people would say, oh, that was a wonderful sermon. I saw him sleeping. But anyhow, you know, they say, I say, well, I'm just glad you could rest in the Lord today, brother. And, uh, but when we'd get in the car, Nancy would, I'd give her up to maybe 20 seconds to encourage me. And if she hadn't said anything by then, I'm like, tell me I did good today. I love to hear her say, you did good. Because I need that. I need the one that I love the most to believe in me the most. Now, we had in Jackson, uh, Eddie and Kelly, Sarah may not remember, but Eddie and Kelly will remember I think they were at church when you were there. We had two basketball coaches from Union University that were part of our team, the men's coach and the women's coach. And uh, they, were, they were, you know, just, they were regular coaches. And uh, the men's coach, he was kind of over-the-top personality, Ralph. And, and he, at the end of the service, I'd be back at the door greeting people. And Ralph loved to walk up behind me when I was talking to somebody and slap me on the backside and saying, great job, pastor. And he, and he just, it felt good. And, uh, and, the, and the ladies coach, he couldn't do that. Mark couldn't do that to the ladies. So he started doing it. He'd walk up behind me. And once in a while, he'd goose me and go, it's good job, pastor. And I'll be honest, I, I found myself looking out of the corner of my eye. And if they got close, I just kind of went like this. <laughs> you say, that's sick. I know it's sick, but, and I'm a heterosexual. Okay, I just want to clear that up. But it was the encouragement. It was the encouragement. It was the love, the affirmation. And we need that. We need to shower each other with love and acceptance. As part of his assignment for a doctoral thesis, a college student spent a year with a group of Navajo Indians out west. And he lived with the family. And in the family was not only the, the family, you know, the mom and dad and kids, but the grandmother was there as well. And the grandmother spoke no English. She only spoke the Navajo language. But somehow, even though they couldn't communicate, this doctoral student and the grandmother developed a, a language where they could talk. Even though they couldn't share words, they just built a great bond. And at the end of the year, when his research was done and he was ready to go back and write his thesis, uh, he was saying goodbye to the family. And the last one he said goodbye to was the grandmother. And the grandmother, in tears, said through her son to interpret for this student, said, he said, she said this, I like me best when I'm with you. Isn't that powerful? And that's the way your mate ought to feel. I like me best. I feel better about myself when I'm with you than anybody else because everybody else may pick me apart. But I know that you love me and that you accept me and that you appreciate me for who I am. I encourage you to be your mate's biggest cheerleader. Thirdly, soulmates 
keep short records. Soulmates keep short records. Not only do they look for the best and they shower each other with love, they keep short records. Proverbs 17, 19 in the Living Bible says it this way. Love forgets mistakes. Nagging about them parts the best of friends. Well, that's powerful, isn't it? Two truths. Love forgets mistakes. Nagging about them parts the best of friends. Do you hold on to the past, to the mistakes, to the hurts, to the pain, or do you let them go? See, soulmates are good forgetters and forgivers. And if you don't get anything else I say today, you need to understand that you're not going to have a great marriage. You're not going to have a great relationship with anyone unless you're good at two things, forgetting and forgiving. The truth is not perfect. See, the, the, the truth is we didn't marry perfect people. We didn't marry perfect people. One of, one of those moments, you ever have God moments? Maybe it's in a sermon, Pastor Keith's preaching or Pastor Sarah's preaching or something, and you, it's something just hits you and, and, and you go, man, I can cling with. I was at a Jack Hayford pastor's conference, and this was probably 35 years ago, maybe longer than that. And the theme of the conference was passing the mantle from the old to the new. And he had it representing the old Or Roberts and Robert Schuler. Representing the new, he had Bill Hybels and Billy Joe Doherty. And then he had an unknown named Daniel Brown. And he was a guy that had been raised up in Jack Hayford's church. He had his Ph.D. from UCLA in philosophy. And he was just, when he got up to communicate, you wanted to write everything he said down. I mean, he just spoke almost in parables. It was powerful. And he, and he came to a point where he's getting ready to finish the sermon. And he says, now I want to share with you my philosophy of life. And we're going, oh, this is going to be good. He's got a Ph.D. in philosophy. I mean, this is a brilliant guy. He's got a Christian worldview. This is going to be really good. And he just kept kind of dragging it out and dragging it out. We're almost like we're on the edge of our seats. Give it to us. Give it to us. And finally he goes, here it is. Here's my philosophy of life. I'm a jerk, and so is everyone else. <laughs> and I go, oh. And that lodged in my spirit. Theologically, we would say, I'm fallen and everyone else has fallen. I have a sinful nature and so does everyone else. And it's just a reminder to us that no one's perfect. No one's perfect. And God wants us to understand that. If you're looking for perfection, you're never going to find it in another person. It's only found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you hold your, when you hold your mate up to a standard that you yourself can never achieve yourself, you're being hypocritical. I remember when I was pastoring our first church 40 years ago, we got married and we moved to Bowling Green, Ohio, and we started Day Spring Church there 40 years ago this July. And uh, I was preaching a series and and, uh, and I just felt like, Pastor, I don't know if you've ever had this, but, but I just felt like the people weren't getting it. And so they'd come back another week, and I'd preach the same theme, and they weren't getting it. And finally one day, I was, I was griping to the Lord. I wasn't praying. I was griping. You, some of you know what I'm talking about. I, I, was, I said, Lord, I, I said, these people aren't getting it, and I'm so frustrated. And the Lord whispered to my heart, and he said, how long have I been dealing with you about? And he mentioned an issue in my life, how many would like to know what that issue is? You tell me yours and I'll tell you mine later, okay? No, we're not going to get there, all right? And, uh, and, and I, 
I said, Lord, excuse me, but we're not talking about my issues right now. We're talking about the church's issues. And the Lord spoke this to my heart. He said, I want you to be as kind and patient and forgiving of your people as you expect me to be of you. And it was a life-changing moment. And that's a, well, thank you, all three of you. That, that, <laughs> now I'm going to complain about this crowd at Winchester Victory. They clap like, oh, wow, oh, that was good. Yeah, no. <laughs> We've got to be understanding and realize that people make mistakes, that we're not perfect. We're not perfect at all. I, I love this story. People, well, let me, before I go there, let me, let, me, let me say this. People often ask me, Pastor, is forgiveness an event or a process? And you know what my answer is? Yes. Because it's both an event and a process. It's an event in that there is a time when you have to, you know, draw, you know, draw a line and say, this is it. We're going we're gonna to forgive. But it's a process in that you'll probably have to draw that same line over and over and over and over. Because forgiveness is a choice. It's something that we decide to do. It's something that we realize we've been forgiven, so therefore we have to forgive. But it's something that takes us a time. It, it doesn't just forgive and forget. Only God can do that. But we can forgive. I was telling a story, I don't know, last fall somewhere preaching, and, and, uh, and I was talking about this incident we had in a church in Kentucky, and, and we had a, a music guy that, that uh, he, was a, uh, he was more fallen than most. And uh, he was a jerk, all right? He was just a jerk. And God even said, I know who you're talking about. I said, you know that jerk? He said, yeah, I got him. I know him. But, but this guy caused, made my life miserable. He did everything he could to destroy me. And I'll be honest. He, this guy, he had a white wig. And my fantasy pastor, well, he didn't think anybody knew he had a wig. Listen, if you're wearing a wig today, we know. All right? And comb-overs, well, I mean, we know. All right? You're not hiding anything, okay? I mean, just go for it. Ball, I'm ball, okay? Get over it. And, uh, but my secret fantasy was to be praying for this guy. And we can, as Pentecostals, we can get a little violent praying. In Jesus' name, and just rip that wig right off the top. That, that's what I wanted to do. I, I just wanted to do that. But I never did. I, I exercised self. I just never prayed for him. No, I'm, I did. No. See, I'm a sinner, and so are you. Get over it, all right? But, but I'm telling this story, and all of a sudden, I'm trying to remember his name, and I can't remember his name. And it, 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 dawned, it had been 30-some years. But what I'm saying is the process of healing had taken me from the pain to the where I can laugh about it, where it doesn't control my life. Now, it doesn't have to take 35 years, but there is a process. I love this story. It's a story of uh, Snoopy and Charlie Brown. And Charlie's talking to, to uh, Snoopy one day, and he says, Snoopy, Poochie's here, and she wants to see you. And Snoopy immediately responds, I don't want to see her. Not after what she did to me. 
Charlie Brown says, now Snoopy, Snoopy, that was such a long time ago. Snoopy says, I don't care. I don't want to see her. said, there I was, an innocent little puppy, willing to do anything for a little affection. And then this girl pup comes along. Poochie was her name. And, and she had a stick in her hand. And, and I said, hi, cute puppy. And she said, do you want to chase a stick? And she throws the stick. And I, like a fool, go running after it. Falling all over myself, bumping my nose and getting a mouthful of mud. I go running back with a stick, bright and eager to please, just in time to see Poochie running away with an English sheepdog. <laughs> Sometimes there comes a point where we've got to throw away the stick. I almost got you. And then you would have had to forgive me. Are you willing to throw that stick away? Some of you, within the first six months, there was some damage done to your marriage. And you've been married 42, 3, 4, 5 years now, and you still go back to that first six months. How long are you going to carry the stick? You can't get past that stick until you make a decision to throw it away. And then make the decision not to go pick it up afterwards. We've got to throw away the stick. And finally, my final thought for this morning is this. Soulmates give each other the confidence of a committed relationship. A committed relationship. Jeremiah 31.3 says, The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. I love that verse. The Lord says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Romans 8.31, I read it yesterday morning. I couldn't sleep and was in the book of Romans this week and got up and read the last six or seven chapters and was reminded in chapter 8 about how that nothing can separate us from the love of God. You name it, he lists us there. And he says, nothing can separate us from the love of God. I grew up, I don't know about you, but you know, there's a couple of camps. There's, there's, there's those that believe theologically that you can never lose your salvation, and there are those that believe you lose it every time you make a mistake. And that's kind of where I grew up in. You know, I grew up in, and my brother, my brother started preaching before I did. He's a couple years older. He loved to take me with him because we shared a room, and he knew everything I'd done wrong, so he'd preach about that. And then at the end, I know some of you sinners out there, and he'd tell everything I did that way. I'd run forward and get saved all over again. I imagine, I imagine the Lamb's Book of Life, my name being on such thin paper because it had been erased so many times. Anybody here grow up like that? And I remember one time saying to the Lord when I was frustrated with myself, and I said, Lord, I, I just don't even know why you put up with me. Why do you stick with me? And the Lord whispered. I've never heard the audible voice, but I've heard a still small voice. And he whispered and he said, I put up with you because I'm not looking for a way out. And it changed my relationship with him. I no longer serve him out of fear of losing him. I serve him out of gratitude that he's going to be with me every moment of my life, through the good times, through the bad times. You say you believe in eternally secure. I believe I'm eternally secure because I'm not going anywhere, and I know he's not going anywhere. So figure that out, Assemblies of God Theology. Just throwing that out for any theologians that might be in the room. But there comes a point when you got to know. Our girls came home one time. They went to Christian school. 
and they came one, home one time. I don't remember if it was Jamie or Krista, and they said they asked their mom, said, are, "Are you and Daddy going to get a divorce?" They said, "Why would you ask that?" I said, "Well, five kids in our class, if their parents have gotten divorces this year, and it produced the insecurity in their children." And Nancy was able to look at them and say, "Look, when when we got married, we made a decision." We took our dictionary and we marked out the word with a black marker. We marked out the word divorce because we said if it's not going to be in God's vocabulary, it's not going to be in ours. We left the word murder in there, but we marked out divorce. <laughs> we marked out divorce. And we have never considered in 40 years divorce. She has considered picking up the stick a few times and taking it to my head. But, but and to know that she's not going anywhere even when I'm ugly and messy, not just talking physically, I'm talking, I'm, I'm talking emotionally, she still loves me. And it brings a security like nothing else could ever bring me. A young woman asked her husband, will you still love me when I'm old and gray? He replied, why not? I've loved you through three colors already. <laughs> Funeral arrangements are being worked out right now. A wife was lecturing her ungrateful husband about his lack of gratitude for all the things her family's money had bought them. If it wasn't for my money, this house wouldn't be here. And if it wasn't for my money, that Mercedes wouldn't be in the drive. And if it wasn't for my money, these servants wouldn't be waiting on us. And if it wasn't for my family's money, that leather recliner you're sitting in wouldn't be here. And the man stopped and said, listen, if it wasn't for your family's money, I wouldn't be here. We laugh, but we laugh to cover up the pain. Because today it's often considered easier to get out than it is to get in. But the opposite is true. See, when we stood at an altar 40 years ago, 40 years ago, 9 hours and 30-some minutes ago for us, at a church, Full Gospel Tabernacle in Bellflower, California, and uh, we went to visit that church last year. We were out there. I said, let's go back and stand at the altar. She said, I did it once. I ain't going back. But no, we did. We, we, went, we went. And, it, you know, when we stood there, we, we meant it when we said, I do. And we, it wasn't a, we weren't entering into a contract. See, as Christians, we were entering into a covenant. Marriage, in a secular view, is a contract, but in God's view, it's a covenant. A contract is based on conditions. A covenant is based on commitment. In a contract, if one or both party fails to live up to the conditions, the co contract can be broken, but a covenant is forever. A contract can be nullified and void. A covenant is forever. A contract guards our interests and well-being, but a covenant looks out for the other person. A contract is about maintaining our happiness, but a covenant is about keeping our word. A contract is the world's way, but covenant is God's way. And God says we've entered into a covenant. Soulmates look for the best in each other. They keep short records. They, they uh, learn how to affirm and encourage one another. And they give each other the confidence of a committed relationship. I want to take you back to that Imaginary couple I talked about walking on the beach, taking hits off each other's oxygen tanks. 
Because if that couple has continued to step in the direction that we've shared today, there will come a time in God's plan when the aging process will catch up with them. And one partner will check the other into a hospital or a nursing home and then drive away knowing in their heart that the partner's not coming home that they've slept in each other's arms for the last time. They'll go home and they'll sit in the family room and their eyes will be flooded with tears as they recall the joys of distant memories, memories of their first kiss, their first date, hopefully their first date, then the first kiss, their wedding, their honeymoon, their first apartment, their first home, the birth of their first child, their first graduation, and their first tuition payment. And they'll remember their 25th anniversary and their retirement parties. They'll remember their children's wedding and their grandchildren. And then they'll remember their last wedding anniversary. And they'll realize and appreciate now more than ever how blessed they were to have had a soulmate and not just a roommate. To have been privileged enough to have had a lifelong partner that ran the whole race with them and they'll realize that out of all their efforts and all their energies were worth it and that God has been rooting for them the whole time from the start to the finish because that's God's design for marriage. And that's what God wants for the marriages here at Victory Church in Winchester, Virginia. To be soulmates and not just roommates. Father, we come in the precious name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for the few moments we've had together this morning. We could laugh. We laugh, Lord, because we see ourselves in the words that have been spoken. We laugh, Lord, because we realize that none of us are perfect and that it's only by your grace that we are where we are, and we're so appreciative of that. Lord, I pray for anyone in this room, God, that may have come today they may have been married a long time or they may have just been married a, a few short years, but in their heart they've come saying, this is it. If this doesn't work, I'm walking. God, would you strengthen their resolve? Would you help them, Lord? Your word says that the love of God is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit. Lord, honestly, there are times when love runs short, when, when we just can't muster up the love to love the other person the way that you would want us to. But your word says that your Holy Spirit, which lives inside of each believer, will give us the love. We'll put your love in our hearts so that we can love others. God, help us to grab hold of that today. Help us, Lord, not to walk away, but, Lord, to allow you to bring healing. God, some in this room need to throw the stick away. Some have thrown it away and picked it up and thrown it away and picked it up. And it's all but just a little twig in their hands now, but they still hold on to it because they're not willing to let go. Lord, I pray that today, today, this last Sunday of February in 23, will be a Sunday when they decide that they're going to forgive and they're going to allow your grace to help them. Father, I don't know everyone in this room. I know very few people individually in this room. But I do know, Lord, there's probably people here today that can't relate to the kind of love that I'm talking about because they've never experienced it. And Lord, the only reason I can relate to it is because I've experienced it, first of all, through you. Thank you, Lord, that you're always looking for the good. 
You're always showering us with love and affection. You, you always become good forgetters and forgivers. You've always been willing to forgive. And Lord, you've promised that you would never leave me or forsake me. God, I pray for those people that here in this room that do not know you, that do not have a personal relationship with you. They may have gone to church all their life, but they've never really opened their hearts and invited you to come in and be Lord of their lives. I pray that today, Lord, this would be the day when they open their heart. Your word says that anybody that comes to you, you'll accept. There's no way you'll turn anyone away because that's the kind of amazing God, amazing love that you have. And Lord, we pray for that now with our heads bowed for just a moment. If you're here today and you need to accept this love, the love that I've described this morning, that first of all and foremost has to be found in your relationship with the Lord. You say, Pastor, I, I, don't, I don't have that. I want that. I want forgiveness. And some of you, maybe the enemy's whispering right now in your ear saying, but he doesn't know how far you've strayed away from God, how sinful you've been. You don't know how far I've strayed. You don't know how sinful I was. But I know this, and when I was farthest from God, I wasn't far at all because he was right there with me. Because he loved me and he pursued me. And he forgave me. He didn't wait for me to clean up my act. He forgave me and then came into my heart to help me be the person he wants me to be. And if you're here today and you need that, I just wish you lift your hand up and say, Pastor Randy, pray with me. Anyone across this room, just lift your hand and say, Pastor, pray with me. We want to know there's one or there are others. Say, I just want to make sure that, that things are right. Just lift your hand up and let us pray. And God's going to be able to do that for you this morning. Anyone else, just lift your hand up. Say, Pastor, pray with me. Here's what I would like to do this morning. We're going to come back tonight at 5. And we've got two sessions. One is on how to have a fair fight. And the last one is on loving when loving ain't easy. Anybody ever been there? We have. And we believe the Lord's going to meet us in a great way. But here's what I want us to do right now. Would you stand with me? Would you stand with me? And if you have any kind of prayer needs, the one that raised your hand that needs to ask the Lord for forgiveness, there's going to be prayer partners down here. And they would love to pray with you. No judgment. This is a no judgment. This is a love zone where you are accepted and loved for who you are. And if you're here today and you need healing, Pastor Lynn needs a healing touch in his body today. Pastor Dave, that we all love so much, needs a healing touch in his body. And if you're here today and you need healing, I want to invite you to come. And there's going to be prayer partners that's going to care and love you. But here's what I want us to do. Uh, you're going to lead us and draw near, or uh, uh, what is it? I will make room, make room. Here's what I want you to do as couples. If you need prayer, I want you to come. Say, what if somebody, if I go down there, will, will they wonder if my marriage is okay? Who cares? And your marriage is more important than what somebody else, some busybody would ever think about your marriage. You just come and let God pray. But I want every one of you, if you're a husband and wife, to just take each other by the hand or by the arm. Put your arms around each other, whatever you want to do. And when we sing make room for you, let's do it twofold. Number one, make room for him. Because he's the third part of the covenant. He's the one that keeps the covenant together. A threefold cord is not easily broken. It's man, it's woman, and it's God that keeps you together. But then would you make room for each other? 
Some of you need to, that it's, this is gonna be a prophetic song because you've closed yourself off from each other. And today, as you sing that, not only are you saying, Lord, I wanna make room for you, but you're saying to your spouse, to your husband, to your wife, I wanna make room for you. Father, in Jesus' name, move. Move in this place, we pray. In Jesus' name, if you need prayer, come now. Go ahead. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Our vision is that you would experience Victory Church as a place to call home. We do this by encountering God through worship, embracing community through relationship, and expanding the kingdom of God through service. Find out more about Victory at victorywinchester.com.